Today my guest is Koto Nishimura, a well-known makeup artist and openly gay Buddhist monk. Koto is a humble activist and active supporter of LGBTQ rights and safety. Equally important, he is a bit of an expert in making his dreams come true. Koto, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Thomas, for having me. It's my pleasure. It's great to see you. So when we met, you were an art student at Parsons School of Design in New York, and I was teaching a fashion photography course we were shooting at Splashlight Studio. And you had asked to be yeah. part of the class, which surprised me a little bit. So what brought you to ask? Well, first of all, I was in a fine arts major. So taking a photo class was not something usual for us because we take paintings and weldings and 3D and filmmaking, but not um, necessarily photo classes. But I was always interested in taking a beautiful picture of somebody else. And I always dreamed of um, also being photographed in a photo studio. That looked so something magical to me. So I wanted to learn how that's done. Coming from Japan, I never was in a photo studio and I had never seen how a photo is being taken. So that's why I think I asked for a permission, maybe? Yes. And took that class as an elective. And I remember while you were in class, you came up and said that you were interested in becoming a makeup artist one day and that you wanted to work for Miss Universe and asked if you could do some makeup or learn. We brought makeup artists into class and asked if you could learn a little bit from the makeup artists. Oh, yes. Since I grew up in Japan, when I came to the U.S., everybody looked so beautiful to me, and I wasn't able to find confidence with my Japanese features. I thought uh, having blue eyes or blonde hair, you know, bigger figure or structure is very attractive to me. So... I used to not be able to like love my Japanese features, but when Miss Universe Japan won Miss Universe in 2007, I was like, wow, a Japanese person can shine amongst other beauties. And how can she do that? And makeup was one of the biggest attributes that they focused on. And I learned that if you know how to express yourself, if you know what you have and know how to accentuate maybe the eyes, maybe silky hair, uh, if you know how to move like a jaguar, you show it on the wrong way. And that's enough to win Miss Universe. And that's why I wanted to learn makeup and also to see the backstage of Miss Universe so that I can feel like, okay, so this is what motivated me. This is what changed my values to be more confident. So that's why I wanted to learn makeup. That's a great story. And mm. <laughs> really, and you, you did learn a little bit of photography in class. You learned a little bit about makeup, but you ended up apprenticing for a makeup artist for a long time. How did that yes. come about? So I found out that the makeup artist who was working with Miss Universe Japan and Miss Universe in New York is actually from Japan as well. So when I found that out, I emailed her and I found out that she is giving makeup lessons. So I was emailing and asking if I can take that class as a biological man. And she said yes, but the fee was $1,000 for four hours. And it was 
about the same rate as my uh, rent for a month. <laughs> <laughs> so I was really overwhelmed and confused, but I consulted with my mother and she said, well, makeup is something that you wanted to do for a long time and it's going to be an investment. So I encourage you to take the class and she said it's okay to, well, spend the money there. And since then, I assisted her for five years and I was always visualizing being her assistant. So when she said that I can be her assistant and join Miss USA the first time, I was so scared because all the dreams I had been dreaming of were coming true. I was so scared that maybe before I get on the plane, anything happens, they might say no, or all of the things that I wanted can be stopped at any moment. So that's how excited and happy I was. That's amazing. And you did end up working on Miss Universe, both as an assistant and now on yes. your own. <laughs> so my boss, uh, my makeup master, she had two kids, so she wasn't able to travel internationally. But I tried my best to go every time, Miss USA and Miss Universe. And now I started helping Miss Universe Japan. And I was able to do makeup for Miss Universe Japan, who won Miss Universe twice. And she really liked the makeup I did. So the reason why I learned makeup is because I wanted to do her makeup. So everything came to That's... a full circle. And I just feel like I have to find a new goal because all I wanted for around 10 years has come true. <laughs> That's amazing, really. And that you got to work with her is extraordinary. Thank you. I'm so happy for you. I kept dropping the makeup brush because I was so <laughs> nervous. Yeah, but somehow I was able to make it happen twice. And you've also worked on Miss Universe or a number of contestants, correct? Yes, I have worked on six Miss Universe pageants. And during the Miss Universe pageant, there are around six to 13 or 15 artists. So sometimes we have to do a lot of contestants. Sometimes we just have to take care of three or four contestants. So depending on the year, it's either really hard or rather comfortable. And do you work with the same contestant all the way through? So what happens during Miss Universe is that around 90 delegates arrive and we have around four days of registration and fitting when we are really busy because we are filming from 9 a.m. till like 9 p.m. And after that, they are going to visit different locations, restaurants, uh, sightseeing, visiting hospitals or something related with each town. And they have rehearsal for around a week. They practice their um, dance and runways. During the last few weeks, they are going to move to the venue. And the last week, we have a preliminary competition. So that's when everybody starts to get really serious and show their honest emotions. And uh, we prepare all the delegates. Some of them do their own makeup, but some of them are like, like running to me and please do my makeup. And that's when I feel like I was able to make them happy. So they come for me when it's important. That's great. Yeah. And they do the interview, swimsuit, walk and evening. And then that's when the top 15 or 16 are determined. 
and the final day it goes like a storm. Well, when we were in Thailand, the call time was at 1 a.m. I think, <laughs> yeah, because we had to air when it's, I think, 8 p.m. in New York or something like that. So that was, I think, like during the daytime in Thailand, we had to do one rehearsal and then do the real show. So we had to be ready at like 3 a.m. That's a long early day. Yeah. So when I uh, saw my watch, it was like 5, 5. And I saw outside and it was dark. So I was like, okay, it's almost end of the day <laughs> because it's dark and it's 5. But I was like, wait, <laughs> this is 5 a.m. And we're not going to be done till like 12, 12 hours later. But it's really exciting. It's really my passion. Since I was young, I loved Disney princesses and Sailor Moon. And I loved beautiful hair, gowns, and makeup. So being able to help them become the princesses is really what I love from my heart. So oh, it's wonderful. <laughs> really. It's a great experience. And hearing you tell the story is even better than watching it. <laughs> Certainly. And you've worked for magazines like Nylon and a handful of others, correct? Oh, yes. I worked with Nylon, uh, Esquire magazine, Men's Health, uh, when I was in New York. And recently I was featured in uh, Vogue Italia. I was the person who was being interviewed. So that was amazing to be i didn't even expect to be inside vogue magazine so <laughs> it had to be quite a moment i can't imagine yes yeah. speaking of interviews i was interviewed by so many incredible media cnn bbc nhk which is the national japanese broadcasting company they made a documentary program about me well i was on queer eye um, I also gave talk at Yale University and United Nations Population Fund in New York. So, so many things happened that I didn't even imagine that I could be doing. Well, a lot of that has to do with both your open lifestyle and the fact that you've become a Buddhist monk. Your father was a Jodoshu Buddhist priest, and you were raised in the temple, but you came to America and I remember our talking and you're saying that you wanted to go back and learn more about your history and your family and you were going to study to be a monk, which you've achieved. Yes. And you may be the only openly gay Buddhist monk that we know of. <laughs> yes. I'm sure there are other LGBTQ monks, but maybe they are not so comfortable coming out to be visible. So I'm really proud and happy that I represent a big part of it. But the reason why I wanted to become a Buddhist monk is because as a child, I used to kind of hate Buddhism because why do we have to chant to this doll made of wood? And how can we be enlightened by chanting? That's some of the, you know, logical question I had. And I never wanted to become a monk because I was wearing like bath towels or skirts around my head to make it like a long hair as a child because I wanted to be Ariel. So shaving all like all the hair I had was not even an option for me. 
But when I was in New York, I met so many students coming from different countries, even countries that I wasn't really familiar with, like Bahrain or Kuwait, Costa Rica. Each、uh, project, everybody was coming up with their original art piece, and I was always thinking, how can I、uh, make my piece stand out amongst other students who are crazily talented? And what I thought was that I have to do something that only I can do. So since I was studying Japanese flower arrangement since eight till sixteen, I tried to incorporate something coming from that aesthetic, something using like spatial art or the structure of flower arrangement. But when I saw a performance piece by a Korean student, he had to leave the school for two years because he had to. Joined the military, and by the time he would come back, everybody was graduating. So it was like a goodbye. And he did a performance piece where he wore a military uniform, and he did push-ups, and he did some demonstrations of how the life would be in the military. And that really stung my heart because he is usually quiet, but I could feel that oh, he doesn't want to leave the school. He doesn't want to join the military. Other people don't have to join, but he has to go. So I could feel his little anger or determination, his sorrow, and I noticed oh, it's because it's him who is showing vulnerability that stung my heart. So I have to face my vulnerability and show it to others to touch other people. And I had always been avoiding Buddhism because I thought it was not compatible with me. But I have to learn and study to even criticize or to give an opinion because if you don't know、uh, what Buddhism is, you can't really talk about it. Everything that you say is coming from partial knowledge, and that's never thorough or that's never valid. So I decided to join the monk training and become like a whole person to get all the answers I had to be questioned, and probably you know I'll be able to become somebody more complete during the monk training. So that's why I realized that I have to face what I had been avoiding to evolve. And you became a monk, but continued to live your personal lifestyle because you're able to leave the temple. And then you started to use your makeup on yourself as well. <laughs> as a child, I loved wearing dresses, my mother's miniskirt. I loved playing makeup secretly because I found some compacts, like Chanel compacts, my mom had in the changing room. So I was always curious. And in Japan, when you go to a department store, the clerk will say, "Oh, are you looking for a gift for your mother, or is it for your girlfriend?" But it's for me, and I never felt that I'm welcome to use the makeup. But in the U.S., when I went to Sephora or Mac Cosmetics, really made-up boys or really glamorous drag queens were selling makeup, so it was much more comfortable and easier for me to buy makeup. So that's when I started to. Play with makeup, and when I started assisting the makeup artist in New York, she really encouraged me to wear a lot of makeup and try different fashion. She took me to different clothing stores in like Soho or Chinatown, and I bought a lot of extravagant clothing. So I was able to flourish by、um, by my environment, being encouraged by my friends and colleagues. But becoming a monk, I wasn't sure because. 
I learned a preset. A monk cannot wear lavish clothes. A monk cannot even watch music or dance performances. Of course, a monk cannot drink alcohol. There are so many, many, many presets, but many of them didn't apply to our lives today. I was really concerned, and just before I completed the monk training, although I wasn't allowed to ask questions because the teachings are something that you receive and not ask questions, but I was consulting with the helping assistant, like a teaching assistant who was not the actual teacher. Well, I have transgendered friends. Some choreographies during the monk ceremony is different depending on your sex. For example, we walk over an urn of incense, men with left and women with right foot. So which one should I do? And at the same time, I wear makeup and heels. So can I still be the same after becoming a monk? So that was my question. And before I completed the training, the assisting teacher introduced about me to the master. And the master told me to his room. When everybody was going to sleep, I went into like a conference room in the temple, which I had never been to. I was really nervous, and I asked a question, very, very in, in a nervous state. And he said, "The most important message of our denomination, Jodoshu, which means Pure Land Buddhism, is to tell everybody that we can be equally saved, even if you are a prostitute or criminal, as long as you're faithful." You can be saved. The mercy of Amida Buddha is like moonlight. It's beaming onto everybody, but the ones who are looking up to the light can all be saved. So your gender doesn't matter. And because of the Japanese history, Japanese monks now can get married and eat meat and have different、uh, jobs. So when monks are wearing watches and like dress shirts,、uh, working as a teacher. What would be the difference if you if you wear something shiny? Okay. So he said, as long as you are able to deliver this message, I don't see why you wear as a problem. So that moment, I felt like an anchor on my heart was lifted, and I felt free. Oh, maybe I can live true to who I am and become a monk and be confident. So that's when I thought that this message that I just received is too good for me to. Keep it within me, and I know that many people are struggling with limitations or expectations because of faith globally. Not only faith, but prejudice or cultural expectations are choking people. When it's not supposed to choke people, because religion is supposed to help people. That's what I believe. But sometimes it's making people sadder. So I needed to share this message, not really to. Make them believe in Buddhism, but just to introduce this faith-based system that allows you to be who you are and celebrate it. If you know this, I think people can feel a little lighter than just knowing only about your faith-based groups. So it's my mission to introduce and show that I'm happy being who I am, doing what I love. And that's what you show in some of your imagery and in a lot of these interviews. There are images of you as a monk and of yourself every day, and of yourself dressed or made up. The duality is really wonderful. Your ideas, I think, of beauty come across in the ways that you make yourself up as well. Thank you, because I was in your 
photo class, fashion photography class, I was able to learn what I should be looking. Maybe I should notice if I'm shiny, you know, uh, lighting should be nice. I should be wearing something cohesive and just to present myself in a professional, fashionable way. And if I wasn't in your class, I don't know what I would be doing now, really. Oh, thank you. That's so wonderful to hear. I'm glad that it had an impact. It's fun to hear the things that we talked about come back now and know they've had an impact on your life. It's hard to learn what's not so good about a photography uh, if you're not in a classroom. And another fact that I was able to go into your class to help the students photographing their models as a makeup artist, it's really hard to work with professional models weekly, doing makeup for around 10 models each day, <laughs> yes. different backgrounds. Sometimes the models for the photographer's friends, different ages, different races, different backgrounds. And they gave me a lot of crazy requests. Can you do this Galliano look? Uh, can you make her look like um, she's sweating and I was challenged as a beginning makeup artist and I was really taking all the experiences for the, the next careers that I had. Without your existence, I don't know what I was going to be now. So yeah. I'm really happy. I really had fun too. Well, it was great. I mean, and to be clear, Kodo came in and worked as a makeup artist in the class for a couple of years. Yeah, I think three semesters, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> and worked with the students. And we had a range of students, as you said, a range of models, lifestyles, backgrounds. Uh, each student worked on their own set within this professional setting. It was really a great class. It was a lot of fun. And I know challenging for you. And probably <laughs> a, a great workshop. Yeah. A great place to experiment and explore. I had to be quick because there are so many models waiting. <laughs> I know. It was a quick turnaround. It was, yes, I know it was demanding, but it was a lot of fun. And we created a lot of great work and had a yeah. great time. Many students have been incredibly talented and were already good from the beginning. I still use many of their photographies in my portfolio because they are just good. I am really happy that I was able to work with amazing, talented photographers and also use the professional studio that you provided because we were at Splashlight and um, major department stores and campaigns are also shot there. So I'm really blessed that we had that amazing resources. Thank you. Yeah, it was a lot of fun for me too. And I was always happy to be able to provide it for everybody. I think people really grew and flourished there. And we have people who are out like Soldier Mag or David Wang or a number of others who are shooting for Vogue around the world or Bazaar or large campaigns. It's really, really been nice to see. Yeah. So what's next for you? What's on the horizon? Uh, actually, I'm writing a book. Wow, that's a big undertaking. Yes. I have been working with the same publisher as Marie Kondo, the Spark Joy. Okay. Yes. So I'm talking about how I was able to embrace my sexuality, how I became able to love my ethnicity, and what I learned from becoming a Buddhist monk. I learned to be confident in me and live honestly and true to my heart. So I would love to share the stories and learnings that I had through these journeys. 
And I'm also sharing some of beauty tips, such as knowing how to style yourself or knowing what's good about yourself. Like you can ask friends, oh, what do you like about my personality? And what do you like from my wardrobe? And if you keep asking others, I was told, oh, Koro, you are healing or you are really um, mellow. And something that I didn't like before, like I thought I was maybe making other people sleepy, but it's something that can work uh, as my forte if, if I'm conscious about it. So that's something I was able to acquire using this like asking friends uh, technique. And although I didn't want to like shave my hair because I wanted to have like a beautiful mane, people told me that I have beautiful head shape. So I stuck to this short hair because of my friend's advice. Oh, yeah. that's great. So yeah, I really want people to re-educate the values that they grew up with because sometimes they are choking you. I want people to question the values, question the prejudice and re-educate and be really free because that's when a person can be much happier. Wonderful. Well, I look forward to the book and we'll have to talk again when that happens. Yes. First, the book is going to be in Japanese. Okay. But I hope the book is going to be translated into different languages so that I can uh, introduce to the world. I hope it is too. How have you evolved personally and professionally over the course of your career? I think I evolved by learning not to complain as much and being able to find positive sides or silver lining in everything. When I was younger, I used to complain and make fun of things or people. But later, I realized that that actually comes back to me, this negativity, and I would feel worse. So when I learned how to take things in a positive way, I think I was able to evolve even more. That's great. And what is one thing you've learned along the way? What I learned is that my actions, my behaviors, my words, everything that I do and say, I know what I have said. So I have to convince myself that I'm professional, I'm serious, I'm successful. So I always try to dress myself in a professional way because if I spend so many days with pajamas, I know I will perform as a person in a pajama. So whenever nobody's watching, I try to organize my room or my hotel room because I am seeing everything that I do and I want to convince myself that I can achieve stuff. And what personal characteristic do you most attribute your success to? I think I'm very humble and I know I'm not smart or powerful. So I try to be humble and appreciative and not try to take things that people say to me for granted. And I think giving importance to others will make them want to help me more. Without the help of others, I wouldn't have been able to succeed. So my humility I think was very essential for me. So one last question. What advice would you give to someone who has the desire to step out on a new career path and who would like to create a career based on the things they love and believe in? Mm. 
Stepping out of your comfort zone is really difficult. Once you make the decision, many things can happen. And making the decision itself is the hardest thing. And to other people, maybe it's not as surprising because it's something that grew big in yourself. So think about it like that, like just doing that one action itself is the hardest thing. And to devote your energy into what you love, I think you just have to remember why you're doing it. I'm doing makeup because I used to feel inferior and I want to encourage people who feel inferior or not as confident like how I used to feel before. So I'm not doing it for money or fame. But so that I can feel like I'm worthy, I can um, celebrate the joy with others. And that's ultimately helping myself. So if I focus on something else, or maybe I should uh, work with bigger campaigns, or maybe I want to be in a famous Netflix show again, maybe the intention wouldn't be as positive. So just stick to the reason, like the pure reason of why you want to do it. And I think that's helped me to succeed as much as I did today. Great advice. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Kodo, for being on the podcast. I appreciate your being here. Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed your embracive and encouraging atmosphere because without a generous support like yours, I wouldn't be able to keep going. So thank you so much. My pleasure. Thank you for listening. I hope that you join us next time on Thomas Werner Podcast.